Welcome to Empowered Business Podcast. I'm your host, Two Eagles Marcus, Tiwa Pobloan, Native American, founder and publisher of Empowered Business Magazine and Empowered Talent Diverse Job Board. Today I have with me Dr. Kimberly Y. Kennedy Barrington, honorably discharged Navy veteran, rare bone disorder survivor, cancer survivor, stroke survivor, the first African-American and title holder of Miss Wheelchair Michigan USA 2019, disability advocate and founder at 100 Shades of Disability L3C. Dr. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh my gosh, thank you. What, I was like, who is he talking about? <laughs> I just had to know, is there anything that you haven't done yet? What's next on the list? Uh, running for state office. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I can see it already. You've, you've been a massive advocate and your list of credentials is tremendous. So uh, will you just, let's just start off with telling me your uh, kind of your, your overview of your background, Navy, and some of the, uh, the stroke and, and, you know, what's happened and then how that led you into 100 Shades of Disability L3C. Oh, wow. So I served on active duty. I was in my third enlistment. I was, have been selected for the educational advancement um, officer program. And so I was in school to become an officer while on active duty. And um, I was sexual, I was physically and sexually assaulted while on active duty. And wow, <laughs> within two weeks, the Navy had packed me and my family up and sent me to another duty station. And immediately arriving at that duty station, I was having PTSD from the incident. Yeah. And so I was discharged like that September of 92. Yeah, it was like that September of 92. They put me on a temporary disability list and said, you know what, we're going to give you, you know, 24 months to see if we, we can get some counseling, you know, outside of us, we'll pay you um, to, to get all that done. And once you feel that we're ready, we'll let you come back on active duty. And unfortunately, they were like, no, after I did all the requirements, they said, no, I couldn't come back on active duty. And they gave me severance pay. Well, I didn't have a major PTS blowout until I became an empty nester. So I was about 47 years old and my last child was leaving to go to college. Uh -huh. And about two months after he left, I was at 5 a.m. prayer and had a massive stroke. And they declared that it was due to the PTSD, that it finds its way to, to kind of come back. Sometimes you have some triggers, whatever those triggers are. So I don't know if it was just being the empty nester um, or actually I, I know that it was the assault happened in a cornfield. And so my son's school was in Iowa in the center of a cornfield. Oh, yeah. OK. And it was just a, a major trigger, had a, a massive stroke, which um, left me in a wheelchair. So. On that note, real quick, can I inter intervene? Um, so uh, that you bring this up, it is um, February is National Heart Month. And one of the articles we're publishing in the Women's Lifestyle for February is about a, um, a, a, a cardiac survivor 
And what it was, uh, and another, there's another article in the magazine talking about heart-related issues, but the production of cortisol that comes from stress can can make those kind of things happen. So now that you bring that up and it's heart month and that also women, black women are uh, disproportionately affected by heart disease and heart um, and cardiac episodes. So it's important just to use it as a reminder that um, you need to protect your heart. And But that is just terrible. I can, I can understand how that would trigger. And then you probably had a lot of anxiety leading up to that moment. They were leaving and yeah. Okay. So continue. Sorry. I thought that I was having actually heart attack symptoms, maybe a week leading up to the massive stroke. Um, So I had to check my blood pressure, make sure I was taking my medication, but just the tremendous stress of him leaving and not necessarily wanting to correlate where he needed to go to where I had been probably was the most difficult. And according to psychology, women usually fall apart when they go through the midlife crisis. So if they've had any type of traumas in childhood, their early teens and or you know, um, in, in their 20s, because normally most people get married, like especially with the baby boomers, they get married in their 20s. And by the time they reach their 40s, they've already put in 20 to 25 years worth of marriage. And that's when everyone starts to figure out, maybe I don't want this because when, when you get married early, you're, you know, you're all in love. Everyone's trying to work. You have children you're trying to raise. By the time you hit your 40s, there's no more noise in your life and you're really left to deal with yourself and your own emotions. And so that's when things begin to manifest. And so for me, he, I was 47 years old and he was the last one to leave and I was going to be an empty nester. And yeah, almost exactly um, two months to the day, 30 days to the day, but it had been a trying year. Anyway, that year I'd had my fifth head surgery after Two weeks after I had the fifth head surgery, I found out that I had cancer and that it was too far progressed for chemo or radiation. It was uh, on part of my vocal cord. I wasn't able to speak well. And it was on my vocal cord as well as five other areas along with the thyroid and both my parathyroids. So surgery was just intimate. So as soon as I had the, the surgery, three months later, I had the stroke. Wow. Uh, and then, so then you've been made to use a wheelchair since then? Yes, sir. Since 2013. So now I'm, I'm coming on my eighth year of being a wheelchair user. And um, I think that having a unique perspective of having spent my first 47 years without a disability and now to go to the same places and wanting to still have my life I realized there's some changes that needed to be made and the world was not accessible for me anymore. On that note, I'm going to reference your own, your own uh, quote on LinkedIn. You said by mere definition, not having the ability to do because of my gender and the color of my skin, I was born disabled. Absolutely. So now (laughs) you've had uh, gender as a, as a disability, skin color and now uh, ability 
or a, a mobility physical, rather. Yeah, the physical part of it now. But, uh, okay, not but. And with the challenges that you faced and now everything you've accomplished since you've been using a wheelchair and, and since you had a stroke and since you had uh, not, you know, you have accomplished a lot. Your, your list of, of achievements has been incredible. Um, with the uh, uh, House Bills 4516 and 4517 and your participation in that. Uh, and then also the, uh, the facilitation of Governor Snyder's $8 million mobility challenge grant for the elderly and disabled veterans of the state of Michigan. I mean, you've accomplished a lot. How did you, when, when you had the stroke and you were in the, uh, then you, you lost your mobility, you realized you were gonna be in a wheelchair, had to use one. How did you find your motivation or your purpose or your courage to keep going forward and not say, I give up? Because a lot of people I think would just be like, my life is over now. I did do that. You did? <laughs> I, I did do that. Um, everyone left me. I think the, wow, I, I, I can actually say this without being, without being emotional. Um, when I received the letter from the VA, I, I was, in the VOC rehabilitation program where they pay for you to go to college. VOC rehab is designed to find a way for you to live or learn another trade, get another job after you have experienced a service-connected disability. So I was at, and you have to be at least 30% to participate. So I was in the program and when I had the stroke, I had it in October, and that January of 2014, they sent the letter, and it was their methodology of delivery that sparked a righteous indignation with me. It was, you're no longer able to function in life the way that you need to. So we're just gonna put you in this independent living program, and there's nothing left for you to do except for have a good quality of life. We will partner you with Disability Advocates of Kent County for which we will pay for those services. You have 24 months to learn how to accept your disability and just rest in it. How dare you make a decision for me, about me, without me concerning me? And there was just a righteous indignation that just rose up in me. And I don't feel that I should just be sent to live my rest of my life out in some pasture, you know, sucking on jello pudding pops in my wheelchair. <laughs> that, that wasn't, no, that's not getting ready to happen. Cause I still have a lot of life left in me. Oh, yes I'm only, you do. <laughs> I'm only 47 years old. I, I mean, people at 47, they're, they're like, you know, that's the new 27. But <laughs> I wish my body would get the memo on that one. But anyway. <laughs> um, so I think looking at it that way, what I saw, what I read, what I perceived was poor you, life is over, 
don't expect anything. And that's not the way I was living. I would honestly say, if I listen to my, my children would tell me, we don't even remember the mom before the wheelchair. It seems as though you became who you were meant to be once you got in that chair. It's like you needed that catalyst to push you. And so when I really thought about that and internalized it, the first thing I thought was, you know what? They are absolutely right. I didn't realize that I was more crippled and I was more paralyzed by fear. And here I was considered an able-bodied person. And I just believe that this chair gave me a freedom that I never had. So you're, you went from caterpillar to butterfly. That was your transformation. And if you look at my logo, that's what it is. You know, you see the, the purple, <laughs> you see the lash, you know, that, that, that big long lash. That's me. <laughs> you know, I, I, um, I have different, I have a many different perspectives that I, I draw my opinions from and many different thought processes that when it, when it comes to challenges, when it comes to destiny, when it comes to purpose. And I feel that anything that happens to us is supposed to happen to us. Oh, I agree. And we are supposed to learn the lesson from it. And we are supposed to, uh, you know, when you ask, don't ask why me, ask why not me? And then ask, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to learn from this? And now what am I supposed to do? And I think that you in your fierce advocacy, your voice is needed in that area. And you wouldn't pay it. You, you would never think to advocate in that area until you were a part of it. And I think that, that that's what you were supposed to do. And um, because you are so dynamic and so outspoken and you've, um, you're just a presence and a force to be reckoned with. And I'm, I can't say that, you know, I, I, I can't say that I'm glad this happened to you, but I think that you're helping a lot of people now. But I can say that. And I think for me, if I had an opportunity to change that morning, I would not. I think I would have come into the realization quicker than I did. I probably would not have had as many days to say, you know, God, you should have taken me. Um, probably wouldn't have had as many depressed episodes as I did. So because I, those episodes were more externally put upon me than they were internally. The internal part of me always had a fight, a press, a push. It was people's responses to me, you know, so it was more external that caused me to internalize it and say, well, wow, I should be like Job and just curse the day. You know, what did his wife say? You just need to curse the day that, that, that you were even born. Just let this go. Bye. Goodbye. See you. You know, um, and when I realized that, Kim, you have been crippled a long time by people's thoughts, opinions, you know, their values. How about this is the perfect time to break away from that and say, you know what, there are two important days in anyone's life. The day that they were born and the day that they figure out why. And when I figured out why, it's been no stopping me. What McFadden and Whitehead say, ain't no stopping me now. I'm on the move. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love, I, you know, I love that um, you said you were crippled by people's thoughts and voices. And now, now you've been set free from that. You've been, uh, yes. you know, pulled out of that. Um, it's, it's powerful and incredible. Uh, can you tell me now about 100 Shades of Disability, L3C, and what it is that you do, who you serve? Oh, my gosh. So I am so excited about that. Of course, the idea came from, you know, that 50 Shades of... <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And you're, you're the exact person that would name it that, too. I was like, mm, if there's 50 Shades of that, and I watched that, I said, mm. <laughs> I'm sure there's 50 shades of other things, but no, as I was um, being diagnosed in my disabilities and all that comes along with once you have a stroke, how it affects the body and um, it may exacerbate some other underlying health conditions and or create new ones for you. My first birthday party, after my stroke, I was, when I turned 48, I had three other friends that had had strokes and I saw the varying differences. Like, oh, you had a stroke, you had a stroke, you had a stroke. You're still walking around, you know, you're able to walk with a limp. You know, you're able to walk with a limp, but I was left in a, in a wheelchair. And I said, look at the different shades of this. We have the same thing, but just varying degrees of it. And so then I got an opportunity to meet others that had disabilities. And so if they said, hey, I have autism, but I'm on the spectrum. I was like, mm, well, you gonna be on the little spectrum. <laughs> you know, I have cerebral palsy, but I'm on the spectrum. Basically, it's like, you know, we have the high function men, we got the mid grade, and then we got the low grade. Where do you fit in? So the, elite, like, the elite, the elite of the disabled. You know, right? And then I found out there was classism when it came to disability. How do you mean classes? We all look, they are we got two communities, able-bodied and non-able-bodied. And you got a classism over here. You know, if you use a wheelchair, it's <laughs> like, there, oh, if you use a manual, oh, you nothing. But if you have a motorized, oh, you in the elite group. And then even with the manual wheelchair, uh, if you are a stroke patient, you just like at the bottom of the barrel. But if you have a spinal cord injury, then you're really cool. So <laughs> the hierarchy, I didn't know. And I said, so y'all didn't tell me, you know, then my, my friends that have motorized chairs will say, girl, you don't have to work so hard. Let me just push you. So you should see us out in public. Here I am in the manual wheelchair with a motorized chair pushing me around. <laughs> so I said, oh my gosh, what is some good language for that that will give everyone some respect? And I would say, how about there's just a hundred shades of disabilities. There's just a hundred shades of it, whatever it looks like for you, you know? Um, and then there are those who are in the imperceivable category. I don't like to say invisible because then that makes people, you know, invisible means not there, can't be, if you will. How about it's just not perceivable to the naked eye, but it does exist. So um, they're in their own category. And I said, well, you know what? There's just a hundred shades of these disabilities and we're just gonna go with that. 
And so one of the things, uh, I think the title is called A Professional Systems Advocate. And, and that's what I do. That's what we do as a whole is that we go and we go on the legis legislation. What needs to be changed at the legislative level for persons with disability as it relates to their quality of life? You know, economically, I noticed that there is a lack of economic stability for those persons who have disabilities. And then we're talking about community education and partnerships. You know, just teaching people, what does disability look like? I loved working on, you know, House Bills 45, 16, and 17, because it gave me an opportunity to show them, this is what disability looks like now. Someone who has the finances, to put their money where their mouth is. You know, someone who does live right next door to where you live. Um, we are earning degrees. One of my most favorite persons has cerebral palsy, has visual, probably, I would say probably low vision to almost no vision at times. Some days she can use a, her white stick. Other days she may have to use a, uh, a wheelchair because mm -hmm. her body's not in agreement, you know, due to her, her type of cerebral palsy. But she has a master's degree and works for the state of Michigan and lives independently, and she is married. And when I tell you, when I saw that happen for her, I said, that's it. It's changing, dismantling the perception of what people think a disability looks like. I love that. Um... Now, we are short on time today, so I know that you are somebody that uh, this this is only the first of many conversations we're going to have because Absolutely. that um, that was a I just loved I loved everything about what just happened. But there's more. I think there's more to, to talk about in what your work is and we can explore that in other conversations. But thank you so much for joining me today. I think. Um, everyone's going to love hearing about your story and your power and your, uh, just your energy. Um, you know, yeah. you're somebody that when they, when you come into the room, everybody's like, oh. Hey, it's Kim. And then if they don't know you, they're like, Hey, who is that? I mean, you just light it up. You, t you just like take it over. So I always love you know, seeing I mean, that. People are just like, Oh my gosh, you're so pretty to be in a wheelchair. So I said, well, <laughs> People in wheelchairs are supposed to be ugly, you know, and I just want wow. to say, there are ugly people walking around. I mean, what? What of it? <laughs> wow. But I'm not just this, you know, wheelchair Barbie who gets dressed up, sits around, and just smiles and looks pretty. No, there's a brain back there, and they'll say, well, what's your name? I said, well, depending on how I feel and how you treat me, my first name is Dr. But for those that I love and appreciate, oh, it's Kimberly. <laughs> you know what? One final, one final thing, Dr., um, and it is earned. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I, you know, tell you me all the books. These are all the books. And then, you know, I have bookcases that go all the way across and all the way down that, you know, these are all the books you have to read in order to get a doctoral degree. <laughs> tell me about women and untitling. And oh. untitling being when men or someone won't respect and honor the title that a woman has earned such as doctor oh my gosh um i would have to say has it happened to you it doesn't happen to me because i'm a woman it happens to me and it doesn't happen because i'm black 
it happens because I'm in the wheelchair. And how do you know the difference? Because there's a respect that's given to me by my mere presence, the way that I carry myself. And the respect is like, oh my goodness, you know, they want to say Mrs. Even though, you know, I have on a name tag that says doctor, mm-hmm. they will say, well, oh my goodness. Hello, Kimberly. How are you? And I would say, I'm fine. Thank you. But that's doctor. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh my goodness. So how did you get that? Only the same way that other people wow. You know, how did I you paid, get that? I paid my tuition <laughs> and I read some books and I and, earned a degree and, and I, and I submitted, you know, I defend, I submitted and defended a, a thesis statement. And um, yeah. They're Please like, explain yourself, doctor. <laughs> and then comes the condescension. And they come back that way. So doctor. Oh. And I was like, whoa. I know that doesn't fly. So then I say, so do you have a degree? What is your degree in? They're like, oh, um, you know, I started out, uh, I actually knew someone who knew someone and (laughs) had some experience. And, you know, hold on just a minute. I think somebody needs me, you know, across the room. And I'm just like, Oh, man. And I, I, I do. Um, and I think probably my favorite thing is when I'm in a meeting and I'm introduced as Dr. Barrington and I have enough um, presence in the community mm-hmm. that people are respecting it and they appreciate it. You know, when they see the work or they Google my name, I think that is so cool when I've talked to people and I'm like, uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm just Googling you. <laughs> and wow, you know, all of these articles about you, all the things that you've done, and then they become very intrigued. And so uh, I had a meeting about universal design with some big wigs. Yeah, I'll just say some, some big wigs. And we met at the Mary Freebed Y so that they could see what universal design looks like. Oh, you know, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's an amazing building. I took, I took the tour and they showed me the, um, I didn't, I had no idea that there were, um, for the vision impaired that they did the like yeah. color, you know, they made the lights and dark so you could see it. Like to me, I was just like, Oh, this is a beautiful place. But that was, you know, that design, that inclusive design. I was just blown away. Everything. So as a disability expert is is what they call me, you know, a a disability expert on the lived experience. And you you have these conversations that, you know, there are folks from Steelcase when I say, I mean, again, you know, the the big wigs, um, city officials. And so they were just so excited after the presentation and after I spoke, had so many questions, respected the title. And of course, there were other persons that had disabilities. There was a, a line of gold buses out and they said, we would be so honored to be able to push the doctor out. You know, can we do that? Absolutely. And so they go to push me out the door. And so which bus is yours? I said, oh no, I'm down here. They said, what? Oh, oh, in the handicap parking. Mm-hmm. So they're pushing, well, where's the van? I 
I said, mm, I don't know. I said, but I'm right there. And they said, right where? <laughs> the white car. They were like, that's a Range Rover. I'm sorry. <laughs> they said, where's your car? I said, that is my car. <laughs> You're flexing on them. They were like, Dr. Barrington. Like they said, what the beep? They're always flexing. So, you know, I think that right there is always, always my favorite. You know, when people see me wheel out, the community has definitely accepted, you know, the doctor piece, but is it's all the other things that come along with it. You know, um, all my neighbors, I live in Byron Center, and of course, <clears throat> <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. And, you know, they keep looking and they say, um, so that's one, two, three cars I see, and um, oh, what year is it? <laughs> and you know, I come out, and at home, I'm in the motorized chair. So I'm, you know, I'm out just and like, hi. <laughs> so how did you get out here? Do you know how much these cost? <laughs> This is, you know, this is how they do me. They said, well, do you know how much um, these costs? I said, well, they have a big <laughs> sign up there that says, you know, starts at. And they're like, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> how did you get these cars in this house? <laughs> so the one neighbor, so the first year that we moved in, we had a picnic. And so the neighbor said, so, Dr. Uh, Barrington, uh, how did you get out here? <laughs> I drove. <laughs> so I said, um, I came in that white Rover right there that's in my garage. She said, well, you know what I mean. You know, how did you get out here? And so, <laughs> so the, 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 uh, the person who is the realtor out here said, well, you must not know who she is. She says, um, yeah, um, I, I, I guess I don't. So who is Dr. <laughs> Parrington? Oh, you haven't seen her with the governor? Uh, oh, oh, so then she says, well, where did you come from before here? Because, you know, I lived in Forest Hills and, you know, my home was purchased by, you know, so and so and so. so. I said, oh, yes. I said, I know them. As a matter of fact, we had lunch together last week. Their son's name is so and so and so and so. And I said, and um, this is how he ended up in a wheelchair. And so she said, so you are connected. You must really be somebody. You know them as well. And I just said, you know what? I did just like this. <laughs> I'm going home. Thank you for the invite. And I just wheeled on back down the street. Oh, man. I <laughs> but, love you know, it. for me, it, it's, I looked at it, okay, was it because of my color? Was it because of my gender? Or was it because of the disability? Or is it, you know, well, I'm a United States Navy veteran. Which box do I get to check or do I check them all? But it is definitely keeping my head and my mind about me and always using each moment as a teachable moment and not one to continually perpetuate that yeah. mm, this right here, mm, you know, uh, we don't do that. <laughs> we just smile, we show those pearlies, we bat those lashes, 
And yes, thank you so much for the invite. And um, I'll be sure on the next go round to invite you to whatever it is that I have. I do believe I have a meeting next week with the governor and I'll, I'll let her know that you appreciate her serve. <laughs> well oh. done. Well done. <laughs> you know. All right, Kimberly, Dr. Kimberly Y. Barring, Kennedy Barrington, I have to end this this beautiful interview. And I know we have so much more to talk about, so we'll have to t continue it on a couple more conversations because I know that we have a lot, Thank you so a much lot to talk for about. Thank so much the award. You're welcome. Influential award, honoree. But I, I can't talk about that right now. I'm gonna put it in the intro. I gotta run, I'm someone else, I'm interviewing someone else, another hot elite, a very elite person. I only interview the elite, just I kidding. <laughs> But you're one of the elite, that's for sure. Because, I mean, you were the have lunch with the governor. Yeah, I don't have that status. I have a 2.30 meeting <laughs> with her, so. All right, just drop my name. See if she see me on LinkedIn. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dr. Barrington, I'm going to go. Thank you so much for your time today, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am your host, Two Eagles Marcus, founder of Empowered X, Empowered Business and Empowered Talent. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a five-star review on the Empowered X channel to get weekly access to the BIPOC action takers and change makers in business, entrepreneurship, and social justice. Remember, there is no community without unity and it is essential that we all work together to ensure a prosperous and sustainable future. Stay strong, never stop learning, and never stop moving forward.